It's something for nothing, the Rush fan cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, do you hear that sound? Yes. Is it the sound of silence? No. It's Lex. He's back. Oh, that's right. The sound of Lex. We gave him a week off and now he's back. Right. That was the follow-up single to the sound of silence. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at the Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. As I said, Lex is back. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. We appreciate it. And Jer? Yes. I've got Twitter polls for us today. How exciting is this? It's been months. It seems like it's been months. I just keep forgetting to do it. So I've got a whole bunch just backloaded. So I'm going to throw them at you. You ready? Yeah. Let's see how many of them I can get. Okay. They're all relating to Clockwork Angels. Okay. Which we talked about over a month ago at this point. Yeah. Okay. First, we did the first four songs, Caravan, B-U-2-B, Clockwork Angels, The Anarchist. What did the Rush fans say was their favorite? Caravan. No. The Anarchist? The Anarchist. Yeah, it's my favorite. 41% said The Anarchist. 25% said Clockwork Angels. Caravan was third at 19%, and B-U-2-B was 15%. So all four did pretty well, but the anarchist blew it out of the water. This should have gone with my gut. Okay. Number two, ready? Yep. The next four songs, Carnies, Halo Effect, Seven Cities of Gold, The Wreckers. What do you think? Seven Cities of Gold. Incorrect. Again. (laughs) Take another stab. Carnies. No. Oh, come on, man. Oh boy. The Wreckers, 51% said The Wreckers, Jer. Wow. Yeah. Seven Cities of Gold came in second, 23%. Carney's was 15%. And Halo Effect, not surprisingly, was 11%. As good as that is in comparison. You have to do the math. Do the math. Okay, here we go. The last four tracks on Clockwork Angels, Jer. Yeah. Headlong Flight, B-U-2-B-2, Wish Them Well, and The Garden. It has to be The Garden. It's the garden. You got it this time. Oof. 59% said the garden. Headlong Flight was second, 33%. And the other two tracks did not do well. Wish Them Well, We Wish Them Well with 5%. And BU2B2, believe it or not, got 3%. Wow. Which I thought was a lot. That is a lot, considering that it's, you know, like an interstitial music choice. Right, right. So that brings us to poll four for Clockwork Angels, Jar Pitting. The three winners against each other. You ready? Yep. The Anarchist, The Wreckers, The Garden. It's got to be The Garden. The Garden, yes. 71%, a landslide. Landslide. Anarchist came in second, 19%. The Wreckers, only 10%. The Rush fans' favorite song on Clockwork Angels, Jar, is The Garden. Yeah, so um, I only got 50% right. Correct. Two wins and two losses. Yeah, but you got the easy one. The garden was simple. (laughs) It's always easy if you know the answer, Steve. (laughs) That's true. So I hope you got an email for us to keep things rolling here. I do. This is from Scott. He's from Salem, Oregon. What's up, Scott? He says, I just heard the Mike Massey episode and had to write in. I have heard every one of your episodes and I have been with you from the beginning. God bless him, right? Yeah, God bless him for sure. There was one spot in this episode that gave me the chills, unlike any point in any other episode. Wow. 
I can't imagine we're chill inducing in our episodes. From what he's saying, we are more chills than <laughs> the, he's gotten before. That's, that's quite a compliment. Yeah. It was 1987 when I became a big Rush fan. I knew Tom Sawyer, Spirit of Radio, Limelight and Subdivisions, but was not really a fan. A coworker invited me over to listen to Hold Your Fire with him. We played the CD all the way through twice, and I became a big Rush fan that day. I saw that tour three times, and every tour except the last two at least three times. The song that struck me the most, the lyrics that really spoke to me, was Time Stand Still. I had a tendency to not enjoy the moment I was in, but always looking forward to the next moment. And reading the lyrics, hearing the song, I started working on living in the moment, freezing each moment just a little bit longer to enjoy what is happening at the time. At the point in the episode where you played the cover of Time Stand Still, when Brenda sings Time Stand Still for the first time, it gave me chills. That is the song that made me a Rush fan. You have talked about ranking all Rush songs from your favorite to least favorite. If I were to do the rankings, this would be my number one song. Probably not a popular choice, but it means a lot to me. Thanks for your hard work and for bringing this podcast to Rush fans worldwide. Scott. Scott, thanks so much for listening. That's a terrific email. And I agree. I don't know if I agree. It's my number one song, but it's definitely words to live by for sure. Yeah. And it is a cool moment in that song when, when she comes in and sings. Oh yeah. Very emotional. Yeah. So Jar, something amazing happened a few weeks ago. Rush fans all over the world got to see a video of the Ohio State Marching Band's halftime show on October 9th. They did an incredible tribute to Neil Peart and Rush. We're lucky enough to have the director of marching and athletic bands for Ohio State University with us today. Christopher Hoke, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Glad to have you here. We'd like to start, Chris, by asking our guests, what is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Okay, so I guess uh, my, my Rush origin story is, well, the, the first, my first experience with Rush goes way back um, to when I was in college and, and playing Guitar Hero. Uh, and I remember trying to play YYZ on that thing. Um, but outside of that, my first actual serious listening to Rush, uh, admittedly, is just within the last year. Um, I was I was never really um, never really knew much about them until um, our percussion director pitched this show to us, and uh, and uh, I said, yeah, let's let's take a look at it. Let's let's uh, see how it goes. And since then, I've been doing a lot of listening. I've been doing a lot of background research and uh, just just trying to figure this out to make the best show we could. So, what was it then about the songs that you chose? Did he pitch those songs to you as well? Choose these songs to play, and you were like. Yeah, some of them. We, when when we do our show planning, we do um, do a lot of listening together as a as a band staff, um, and so we we did some listening to uh, some of the Rush favorites. And you know, he had some recommendations. Obviously, uh, as a, as a Rush fan, he had had certain favorites. Um, the arranger of our music, a fellow by the name of Andrew Markworth, also had some ideas on on some of his favorite tunes. And of course, we just we just listened to those and and picked our favorites uh, from among them, and decided to go with those. I'd love to go through this performance song by song, if we could, Chris. You start the performance with the spirit of radio, and what we'd like to do is maybe play a little bit of each piece from the performance, and then we'll talk about it. So we start out with the spirit of radio.
Now, can you tell us about arranging this particular song for marching band? Any particular challenges? Yeah, for this this particular tune was probably um, of of all the selections that we did in the show, probably the most straightforward um, in terms of just normal four four meter, fairly easy to learn and play to. So, from an arranging standpoint, um, our arranger just uh, took took that tune sort of as the basis for for part one of the show and mixed in parts of twenty one twelve, and uh, really just let the sound go on on some some key moments in this uh, in this opening number. So. It was really a chance just for the band to play some great, great music and uh, to really shine on some particularly loud moments <laughs> um, and, and just have some fun playing some great rock and roll. Now, what kind of consideration is given to the, the sections of the song that you're picking out to play? Really, that's entirely up to the to the musical arranger. That was up to, to Andrew when he when he sat down to write the music. We tell him typically what tunes do we want you we want him to, to write for us. Then he kind of goes with basically the you know the sections of the music that he wants to to pick out. So um, in this one, in, in the opening number, and in the third part of the show in particular, he was actually rather creative in mixing um, different things together. So obviously, Spirit of the Radio with uh, with part one and, and some things on twenty one twelve, and then I, I'm sure we'll get to part three in a little bit. But with the third part, mixing several different tunes together in that one. Now, as far as the choreography goes, in this part of the song, we see the Rush logo. We see Alex, I assume it's Alex with his guitar, running across the field, and then 2112 spelled out. Are you involved with the choreography as well, or just the music? Are you, you overseeing all of this? Well, I, I oversee everything um, as, as the director of the band. That's my primary responsibility. But um, for this particular show, I did do all the visual design myself. Um, so that, that's actually one of my, my favorite things to do is to, to write all the drill to create the visual, uh, visual aspects of our shows. So what you're seeing there is, uh, um, represents several weeks of, of, <laughs> of hard work. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as a marching band, there are a lot of formations that go on all the time. Is this something that you do a lot where you're doing these very pinpointy type things, you know, a human being, a person on a motorcycle. I think there was someone playing drums as well, which was really cool. Like how is it different maybe to do like a shape as opposed to a person moving? Yeah. In the last, Oh, I don't know, 10 years or so we have done more and more of these, these sort of picture formations. And, and at least in our part of the world, we've become pretty popular and pretty well known for doing this, this kind of thing. So what you're seeing in terms of the, the person playing the guitar, uh, the person playing the drums, some, some of those types of things are things that we do. We do things, not exactly that we haven't done that exactly before, but we have done things like that many times over the years. So, you know, just drawing on that experience and, and drawing on that knowledge of how to, how to make that happen and how to create those, those figures certainly played a part in, uh, in the creation of this design as well. Now, the next part of the piece, I was getting teary-eyed during the performance of Limelight.
this just touches the heart of every Rush fan because it was so close to Neil. Tell us about the inclusion of this song and uh, what that means to you and your team. Yeah, this this is exactly what we what we intended was was for Limelight to be a tribute to Neil. Um, in, in fact, one of the reasons that we went ahead and selected this show to perform this year, um, when all was said and done, we have a you know a slate of you know fifteen or sixteen shows that we narrow it down to, and this was one of the ones that obviously got picked for this year. And, and one of the big reasons why was um, to honor the memory of Neil Peart. And so we wanted to make sure at least one of the numbers in the show paid tribute specifically to him. So um, I selected Limelight because, you know, I I felt like the lyrics were particularly interesting, um, you know, reflecting reflecting his feelings, um, uh, you know, at the time that he wrote it. Um, So I wanted to make sure that this uh, the drill kind of reflected reflected some aspects of, of, of who Neil was. Um, certainly, the motorcycle um, reflecting that, as well as the uh, the drum set. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough people in the band to create a drum drum set um, that would be as mammoth as uh, <laughs> as perhaps Neil would have played. <laughs> that would be very very difficult. Right. <laughs> My favorite part is when Neil hits the cymbal, and you hear the cymbals go right as he hits it. That was amazing. Yeah, that was by design. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, the next part of the performance is closer to the heart. was just amazing with a full marching band. Yeah, it's really a beautiful tune. One of the most lyrical tunes, uh, melodic tunes uh, that we were able to find for, for this show. Um, and so um, our arranger, Andrew, uh, put this into the, into the music. It was a, it was a must have. Um, because we only had two weeks to actually learn the show um, with, our, with our students, they, they had to do this in, in two weeks. Um, we we couldn't do you know drill sets for everything, so we decided to go with a concert set and feature our drum major during uh, during closer to the heart, and then some of the other um, other tunes there that that made up part three. Um, but we it was kind of a nod to the three of them. If if you see the formation that we're in during that moment when we're playing closer to the heart, um, there's a guitar on one side and a guitar on the other representing Alex and Getty, and then a, a, a snare drum in the back representing Neil. And we wanted just to have that, uh, you know, have the, the three of them just sort of a, a, a nod to the three of them um, while we stood and played, uh, I think, one of the more beautiful Rush tunes out there. And you said it, you only had two weeks. Do you usually have more time to put on a spectacular show like this? <laughs> no, the average is about two weeks. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not much time. Like I said, we do, we do seven shows typically in a given year. We do one for every home football game that we have. And so on average, we have about two weeks to prepare. Sometimes we get lucky. We get three, three weeks in between, in between home football games. Um, and sometimes we only get one. So 
anywhere from one to about three weeks is uh, is what we have to prepare a show. Wow. So this is a one and done thing then? Yeah. We typically do just the one performance of, of the show. And then if we happen to go to an away game before our next home game, or we happen to do another performance, sometimes it will get a second run. We had a uh, band invitational this past Saturday uh, where we had 40 high school bands from around the state of Ohio uh, that participated in Ohio Stadium. So somewhere around 5,000 students, their families, their friends, tens of thousands of people in the stadium. And we had the opportunity to perform the Rush Show one more time for all of them, all band fans. So it's really great to perform for people who who love and live marching band. Um, so we did get a second performance on this show, and I think uh, certainly well-deserved. Now, were these Rush songs that you picked, you think they are more difficult than some of the other more popular rock songs that you performed over the years? Yes. <laughs> Unequivocally, yes. Short answer is yes. <laughs> right. Um, this is all in all probably one of the most difficult shows that we have done, at least in my time here at Ohio State. Um, and just because of the uh, the intricacy of the, of the music, um, lots of mixed meters, um, things that you don't normally see in a typical rock show where, you know, where everything is in 4-4, limelight in particular, lots of changing meters. And YYZ, obviously the rhythm in that in that tune is exceptionally difficult. And the speed at which we had to do it with our percussion section was very difficult. So lots of difficult things uh, musically in here. And, and of course, when the music is difficult, it makes the drill equally challenging to march. So it was one of the more challenging things, but certainly when we do something that's that challenging, but that people are so passionate about, it really makes it rewarding, both as an educational experience for our students and just as a, as a, as an overall experience for our fans. The next section, it's brief, but you'd get into Red Barchetta, the wind in my hair section, which is the best part of the song, in my opinion. Why'd you choose that particular section of Red Barchetta? That again was entirely Andrew. He decided uh, which part of the tune he wanted to do. When we initially pitched this idea to him, um, we wanted part three to be just kind of a mashup of, of some of the best of Rush, mm-hmm. things that we didn't get a chance to do the whole song with. Like we did a, a good chunk of Spirit of the Radio. We did uh, you know a big chunk of Limelight, uh, YYZ. And of course, the entire closer is, is Tom Sawyer. So some of these things that we didn't get a chance, didn't have time to do a full version of, he just had to pick the section that he liked the best. And you just said it, it's probably the best part of the tune. So um, naturally he, he selected that. Can you give us a little insight into maybe which songs you might have listened to and decided not to include? Um, Not really, because I can't remember off the top of my head. (laughs) I've been living with these tunes so closely for the, you know, for the last six months or so. Right. I actually don't remember what we discarded. <laughs> now you mentioned the YYZ section and that that comes up next.
had to be challenging for the students to play this fast, especially the drummers, right? Yeah, it was the most challenging section of the show. We knew from the very beginning, partly, obviously, as this was partly a tribute to Neil, we wanted to make sure that there was a percussion feature with lots of percussion, lots of drums happening uh, in this show. So we selected YYZ as the percussion as the percussion feature. Just because that that motive that's played throughout that section of the show, we wanted to kind of focus in on that. And there was lots of space in there for lots of percussion stuff. Um, so our percussion section during those, those two weeks um, that we were working on this show, our percussion section actually spent several hours outside of our rehearsals um, in their own sectionals just to learn that part of the show um, because it was so, so difficult for them. And, and some, of the, some of the language and the, and the snare parts and, and so forth and, and, and the other parts of the percussion section is very high level. Um, so certainly very challenging to learn in a short period of time, but tribute to our students I can't say enough good things about them. We get the best of the best here, and they they do a heck of a job. What's the consideration from changing a rock drum section into a marching band drum section? Well, it's, I mean, obviously, it's quite a, quite a bit different. You know, some of the drums are the same. You know, we have, uh, we have snare drums, just like a drum set player would have a snare drum. Uh, we have bass drums, just like a drum set player would have a bass drum. But you know, unlike a bass drum on a drum set where it's just one thing sitting in front of you that you've got to pedal for, the typical marching band will have five or six bass drums out there, each pitched differently. So each has a different tone to it. And so when you put them all together, you can actually create lyrical passages, musical passages that have pitch to them. So if you listen to it, you can hear our bass drums having some, some different things that, that sound different from a normal drum set bass drum. Um, the snares are a little bit different. They're, they they ring a lot less on the marching field just because of the type of head that we use and the tightness of the snares on the bottom of the drums. We also have what's called tenor drums, um, which are analogous to the toms on a drum set. So six drums on a single frame for each tenor player. But like uh, like I said, those are like the toms on a drum set. And then, of course, cymbals. Um, you can't have a drum set without cymbals. So our, our cymbal players um, just have a pair of crash cymbals, each of them, unlike the well, what could be perceived to be hundreds of symbols on your drum set. <laughs> so you wrap this up with Tom Sawyer.
just had to include this one, right? Yeah, it's probably the most uh, most famous of the Rush tunes, at least that, that I knew of. This was one of the few when we first started this process that I had actually, you know, that I actually recognized that I that I had heard before. Um, and this is something that I think if there was going to be a tune that was recognized by the general population around here, it was probably going to be this tune. Um, so we, we, we needed to include it. And, and being one of the more, most popular selections from the band, we wanted to make sure that this was kind of what we left everybody with. This was the closer. So, yeah, definitely had to include Tom Sawyer and uh, glad we got to finish the show with it. Now, you mentioned briefly how great the, uh, your players are, your students. Can you tell us more about the number of players you have and about the kind of students you have in the band? Absolutely. So um, what you saw on the field um, is a group of 195 players. Wow. Yeah. So um, that represents multiple sections. As, as you know, obviously the percussion section was, uh, was featured in that third segment. Um, but we also have trumpets. And in our trumpet section, we feature regular B-flat trumpets along with flugelhorns and E-flat cornets, just different kinds of trumpets. We also have what's called mellophones. Those are analogous to a French horn, say, in a, in a concert band or an orchestra. And we have trombones, of course. Close to my heart, I'm a trombone player. Um, we have baritones, and then we have sousaphones, which are, which are our, our bass section. So those are the different sections of the band. And I said, as I said, 195 students on the field. We also have 33 alternate members of the band who don't perform in the halftime show, um, but they have other responsibilities. So those, those alternates, for example, you saw a couple of props that were out there, Neil's drumhead being one of those, and then the rush banner at the end of the show. Um, the alternates are responsible for running those props. They're also being responsible for learning, learning the show themselves. So in case somebody gets ill or can't march the show for some reason, they have to jump in and take the spot. Um, so there's a total of 228 marching and playing musicians in the band. Um, we also have a drum major um, who, who, as I mentioned, was featured um, during the closer to the heart section of the show. Um, and he has an assistant as well as several trainees that are part of the band. So those are all the performers. You know, I'd never seen the performance of Ohio written in script that you guys did at the end. Can you tell us how far back this tradition goes? <laughs> The script Ohio is one of the most uh, one of the most popular things that we do. Of course, um, the the tradition goes back to 1936. Wow! So it's it's been a long, long time. We've been doing script Ohio uh, in Ohio Stadium pretty much the same way since then. It's as the band's gotten bigger over the years, it obviously undergoes some changes. But yeah, it goes back to 1936, and is probably the the one thing that our crowd looks forward to more than anything else that we do is that script Ohio. And then of course the, the very end, the big tradition is the dotting of the I um, by a sousaphone player at the very end of the script. Was there any discussion about asking Alex or Getty if they would come in and dot the I for you? Well, there hasn't been yet, but thanks for bringing it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we have uh, the tradition of dotting the I actually is a year later uh, than the original script Ohio. The first person to dot the I was actually a, a, an E flat cornet player. And then somebody got smart and said, well, why not put the biggest instrument at the top of the eye so you can see it? So uh, we have a sousaphone player do that. Um, and it's it's really an honor that they they uh, prepare for their entire time in the band. So you have to be a senior member of the sousaphone section and you have to have marched for four years. And the person with the most performances as a regular member of the band, not as an alternate, gets to select which game he or she wants to dot first. 
So that's how that selection is done. And um, I'll be honest with you, we do sometimes do guest eye daughters uh, every once in a while. I think there've been a, about a dozen over the years that have, have done this. I'm just trying to get all my students who didn't get the chance to do it last year because we didn't get to do this thing. Oh, that's right. Um, get them their get them their eye dots this year. So really happy for them that they're able to able to do that now, and we're able to put on shows again. Maybe you can misspell it and put two eyes in the in Ohio <laughs> so that you can, everybody can get a chance. Or an umlaut or something. I don't know. Umlaut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've we've talked about so many different types of Rush covers on this podcast, Chris, and we've discovered that Rush's music translates well to any style. Did you find this to be the case that it just was easily translatable into marching band? Absolutely. As I said, the music itself was very challenging for us and and one of the more difficult things that we've ever done. But as with any great music, great music is great music. And once the students learned it um, and got into into the music, it sounded great. As you could tell, if you didn't know any better, you'd, you'd say, well, that was written for marching band. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it translated really well. And uh, when you have a great arranger like we did with uh, with Andrew Markworth scoring the show for us, um, it, it you know, it just pops. It just uh, it, it it can be at one time very powerful and then in another moment, very touching. So really proud of the way, really proud of the way the music turned out and the way it translated. Now, do you know if there were a lot of Rush fans within the marching band before you did this? Well, actually, I asked. Before we started this, I asked how many people have have ever um, listened to anything by Rush before, and there were not many, <laughs> um, to be honest. So, I mean, most of these folks are you know eighteen to twenty two year old um, students, and so didn't necessarily grow up with it, and quite honestly, hadn't listened to much of it before. I can tell you, they're listening to it now, um, which is which is really great. So, the opportunity to introduce them to new music is part of my role as a music teacher and something that I take very seriously and I'm very proud of. But I learned something too. You know, I I mentioned that I didn't know a whole lot about them before working on this show myself Um, and just expanding my own horizons and, and, uh, you know, learning, learning about Rush, learning about their music and just coming to really enjoy the music myself has been, has been really a privilege. So I think for a lot of us, this was just a lot of fun to work on. And I'll tell you, I've talked to many, many students who came out of this process going, oh, yeah, this is one of my favorite shows that we've ever done. And, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we first started this, you know, they wouldn't have said that because they didn't know any better. But, mm-hmm. but uh, just three weeks learning this is tremendous for them. How does it work? Do you, do you send them home with Rush Greatest Hits album and say, hey, check this out? <laughs> No, actually, I wish there was time to, to do that, to, to force them to do that. But uh, no, once we once we get the, you know, the music in their hands, it's we're rehearsing the music that we have, the marching band version. Now, to their credit, many of them, most of them, in fact, I would say, are just naturally bright musicians on their own. And so they do that on their own. They hear, oh, OK, what is this 2112 thing? I think I'll check the check out the real thing. Or what is Limelight? I think I'll check out the real thing. And many of them have have done that, which is really great. And so they they get to experience the original thing for themselves. So I think I think that's great. Now, before the performance, there was a, a big buzz in the Rush fan community that this was going to happen. But after it happened, it kind of went viral, didn't it? Because the Rush, you know, um, social media accounts all retweeted it. They reposted it all over the place. Even you know, I think Getty's. Uh, Instagram account too. 
he posted something about how great it was. Uh, were you surprised at this reaction? Yes. Well, to, to be honest, we do promotions of, of pretty much everything that we do on social media before the fact, just to let everybody know what's going to be happening to try to generate some buzz. But I think the reaction for this has been as much or more uh, of a reaction than anything that I've seen, you know, in my, in my time here so far, um, the, the positive reception has just been tremendous. And I can tell you, there's no greater honor than to have the original artists themselves come back on social media with, uh, you know, with thanks and with, um, you know, with praise for, for what we've done. So I, like I said, I don't think there's, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more thrilled to see, you know, to see Getty posting something or, or to see, to see that kind of reaction from, from the artists themselves. I mean, what a, what an honor, um, you know, just for, for a marching band group to, to have that kind of reaction. Pretty cool. So you mentioned that your students thought this was one of their favorites. Where does this rank for you in all the pieces you've directed over the years? I just, it's hard to pick a favorite, to be honest with you. I just told, um, I told one of my assistants as we were walking off the field today um, from our rehearsal, this is, this is easily top five for me. I, I'd be hard pressed to pick, uh, I'll pick one favorite, but this is certainly, certainly up there. And not only because of, uh, you know, because of the social media reaction, the, you know, it going viral and, and all of that, that's all great. But just the thrill of, being able to learn something new and to be become more familiar with music that I really didn't know much about um, to be able to uh, just get excited about something new and to, you know, to kind of embrace this for the first time in my life was, was just a lot of fun. Plus I'll be honest, whenever you put so much work into something that's particularly challenging and you get a great result from it, it's just a great feeling to, to have that performance be, be special. So in your beginning rush fandom if we can call it that <laughs> what are some of your favorite songs so far that you've listened to well i already knew tom sawyer i think spirit of the radio was one i'd never heard before and i think that's one that grew on me because it just it's just fun i don't know i just enjoyed listening to it um limelight's one that i never heard before but there's i think there's a depth to that tune that you, you just gotta you gotta take a listen to it more than once to to sort of grasp it. So I, I you know I've rather enjoyed doing that. So there's a couple for you. <laughs> yeah, you know I I've said a couple of times we've talked about limelight probably a lot, Steve, haven't we? Oh yeah, <laughs> we seem to always go back to limelight. The the guitar solo in limelight is probably one of my favorite guitar solos in any song that's ever been recorded because it's just so emotionally wrought. You can like feel. You could just feel the the lyrical content in that guitar solo. I love that song. Yeah, I agree with you. It was one, to be honest, that it took me, as I mentioned before, it took me a few listens to to start to understand it, to start to like it. But as I did, you're right. It's you know, it's great, and uh, you know, certainly the guitar solo is a is a high point there. I have a feeling we're going to have a lot more students applying to Ohio state that are rush fans who want to get a <laughs> get into this music program, Chris. Well, I hope so. We certainly are, are busy recruiters here just as, uh, just as everybody else is, uh, you know, certainly in, in all colleges uh, across the country, across North America. So, you know, anything that we can do to get people excited about the Ohio state university, that's, that's part of who we are. So glad we could hopefully, hopefully gain a few more fans. Well, I know Rush fans all over the world were thrilled with your performance, and we thank you for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. We really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So Jared, that was an amazing conversation. What a great guy. Yeah. What a great guy. And it's so interesting that it doesn't matter what time in your life you, you discover great music, right? Mm-hmm. It's just going to grab a hold of you. Whenever it hits you is when it's going to grab a hold of you. I think it's great that he's listening to Rush and to some of the band members are also listening to Rush. I think it's great. The amazing thing is I just assumed that he was going to be a huge Rush fan. So did I. I just, because who else would do such an insane thing, right? <laughs> but I think it's better that he wasn't a huge Rush fan. Why is that? He mentioned that, that someone else in his team suggested this. Andrew. Andrew, right? And he embraced it and said, yeah, let's do it. Right. You know, and then he went back and listened to all this music and put this thing together. He easily could have just squashed it, but he didn't. That's true. And I love it. I know, because it does read like uh, something a crazy Rush fan would do, right? <laughs> totally. But he's not a crazy Rush fan, and now, and now he is a Rush fan, which is fantastic. On his way to becoming a crazy Rush fan. Like I think after the season's over, I think Chris will go back and get the Rush catalog and be just as crazy as we are maybe a year from now. We can only hope. We <laughs> need can, more crazy people like that in the world. We do. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our conversation with Christopher Hoke. The Rushcast at gmail.com. And Jer, hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us nicely. I do. It's from Ceiling Unlimited. Oh, wow. Love that. I rest my case, or at least my vanity dressed up in the mask of comedy. If laughter is a straw for a drowning man, if laughter is a straw for a drowning man. Wow, good one. Thanks, Jer. Thank you. All right, see you later. Mm-hmm.